Welcome to another week in the Chat Cave. Good listener, Oscar-winning producer, Sean Ogilvie, joins me for a ramble today. But before we get to that, are you subscribed to Coming Up Next? You know, it's a very easy thing to do, and it really helps me more than you probably think. If, you, uh, if this is your first time tuning in and you would like to find the other 125 episodes of Coming Up Next... Uh, head to comingupnext.com.au where all the episodes are available as well as links to iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean where you can subscribe to the show and while you're subscribing, hey, why not leave a a five-star rating and a review it's going to help me keep bringing you amazing guests like Sean Ogilvie Um, on this week's episode, on episode 126 and we're going to talk about uh, the road to winning an Oscar for his short film, Stutterer. Uh, we're also going to talk about his latest short film, what he's got going on at the moment, and uh, what it was like growing up in Stevenage as a creative person. And we're going to talk about it all right now. just watched uh, Fog, actually, while I was waiting for you. Um, oh, great. I really enjoyed it. It's a very intense short film. Must be uh, feeling pretty good about coming to the end of that process. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm happy with how it's turned out. And I think um, a few more tweaks on the edit and we'll start putting it out to festivals and stuff, like early, probably beginning of next year. So what's the, I guess, what I'm, I'm not, you know, super familiar with the process of getting your work funded here what's what's that like um, um it it definitely helped having um Stuttera sort of just just coming off the back of Stuttera um and so with London Calling they do it's like an annual scheme it might actually be changing now so I'm not sure if it's going to be running next year but it's usually it's an annual scheme and you kind of apply in teams uh director producer writer or writer director and um then once you get shortlisted and you go through a kind of development process, and at the end of that, they choose, they narrow it down to the ones that they want to go with. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was, it's even if you don't get it through, it's quite good experience, like going through the development with the BFI and stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, when you sit down to make something like Fog, uh, do you have uh, like a kind of strategy in place? Because, you, you know, the it's... Uh, it's it's a short film that to me looks like it's designed for a festival run, um, and I'm I'm saying that as someone who is now sort of realizing that if you're going to make a short film, you should be designing it probably for a festival run. Otherwise, I guess it's just kind of something that's existing in isolation. So when you come to writing something like Fog or creating something like Fog, because I know that you that was like it was a collaborative um, writing process. What's your kind of thought process and your strategy with that? Yeah, it's a that's an interesting point because I th- I think for me coming off the back of Stutterer, which I produced, 
then I wanted to shift into directing. So I did kind of have like a, an end goal and a kind of get it towards get it to festivals kind of mindset where it's kind of be it's it's meant to be a calling card for me as a director and to then get other films funded. So I actually pitched Fog at the same time as a feature idea, which I optioned, which is for to a, a production company who put some money in for Fog and like as part of the package, they get the rights to the the feature idea and then they put some money in Fog and then if Fog does well, then I can go on to, you know, produce the, the feature. And um, so I kind of had it in mind that the, the film should be quite short and be sort of like emotionally satisfying and but at the same time touch on themes or things that are interesting to me um but still be like audience focused i guess that's is that what you mean when you say festival oriented what what is it that you mean there well i suppose i mean like it um it it presents as something that you know would play well as a short film in the context of uh, a short film festival so it's not something that you've made to exist online it's not something that you've made as a kind of prelude to a feature or as uh, it's not something that you've made um, for you know the sake of artistic expression quote unquote it's something that you've made that you've designed like you say with a bigger picture in mind as a calling card as a director or to kind of travel in a certain um, section of film festivals yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, but I think um, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like, I think that was something that I was hoping to go for with Fog. Like I said, that there is there is a feature idea attached to it, but at the same time, Fog is completely its own thing. It's not meant to be like the first fifteen minutes of a feature because I f- I find that those are often like unfulfilling if you watch them in a festival context or or as their own piece. So it was meant to be um, a standalone piece, and. I, I, because it's a calling card, I suppose it's designed to be quite accessible in nature and, you know, just audience focused. But at the same time, like I, it, it needn't be. So I think um, if I did another short film, like I have another idea, which would probably be a bit more um, artistic or art house. But there are festivals for that as well. And so I think you can still sort of aim towards that. But I definitely did have the f- the festival circuit in mind for this film, yeah. But I, you, you know, there there are so many festivals out there. I feel like you can place whichever type of film if you know what what the audience is, and I think that's something which um, just takes a shitload of research and yeah. just you know because there's so much out there and there are so many festivals and like just like especially going to them or like re- really researching what kind of programs they play and what kind of stuff they do. Mm. Yeah, someone once said to me, um, an Australian director, um, he said to me, you know, if you want to take that next kind of step, you need to make either a really audacious short film, which I kind of interpreted as a short film that has, you know, a it's kind of subversive in what it's saying it's like it doesn't doesn't kind of draw down the middle it's on our side um or uh um you know an outrageous feature and i think that um yeah i think that's true of well actually both of the short films that i've seen that you've been a part of have been uh audacious short films 
Um, just before we do talk about stutter, I'm I'm curious if you kind of were, like because fog to me it it, it appeared as like a, you know it's it's mostly in the one sort of location. I mean, there's there's a few different locations, but it seemed like how many days was the shoot for that? Uh, it's five days. Five days. So are you kind of consciously um, mapping out a short that would be achievable in a short amount of time or within a sort of budgetary restriction or do you not? No, I, so we, um, on Stuttera, that was when we when we made that film. So Ben, he'd really wanted to write and direct his first film and Serena and I were going to produce and we were all mates. So we were talking about it for ages and we went through several of Ben's scripts and he kept writing them. And the original brief was, let's just do something quick over a weekend, single location, sort of eight minutes long, just let's just make a film. And Ben was kind of never happy with the, every time he would write the film and they would be quite good, we'd develop it. But then he, he wouldn't, he would still feel too limited, like in terms of the first film, trying to ex- like express yourself as a director, make a calling card. Um, and so we sort of abandoned that. And he, like he wrote Stutter and, you know, so we kind of abandoned that. And I think, I'm still of that same mentality. I prefer not to limit myself and think about how it'll be produced. Like you can do that as you're de- after you've written it and as you start developing it, you can start sort of taming some of the wilder elements. You know, there were there were some in in fog. You know, there was like a car crash and you know some yeah. certain things that we were just like, okay, this is you know this is not really necessary. We can find an, uh, another solution for it. And I think that's the better way is to. to start off not being hindered by things and and think about what you really want to make and then make it feasible yeah so stutterer uh to kind of swing over to that you won an oscar for just a (laughs) casual oscar yeah Um, which is a remarkable achievement i mean for any scope of project i think uh and i could imagine that the whole process of that would have been pretty like not not only the oscar but you know actually creating this short film with ben and then kind of seeing this the the life that it had when you when you were on set and you were creating this or even in the development process what was the what was the objective i guess with that so the objective yeah it's fun, it's funny that you say that because the objective which I'd say was still tried to keep the same mentality with Fog, but with with Stutterer, we just wanted to get to one good festival, like get into like the BFI London Film Festival, or just one, like that was it, then we would be over the moon. That was just like, let's just get to one big festival, get it out there and, you know, hope some people enjoy it. And I think that was the kind of mentality. So the film wasn't like contrived around that or anything. It was, the goal was always for Ben, to write and direct the film that he really wanted as his like debut short film because he you know he'd been a screenwriter for a while and he wanted to move into directing so that was always the goal and then let's just hope we can get it you know sort of get it to a decent enough standard of quality that we can get into a, you know a good festival um was this one also funded by bfi or was it self-funded no it was uh it was it was totally self-funded like ben put up most of the money he um He'd won some money from a screenwriting competition, and he'd he'd he'd, he'd tried to fund it on like go, going through different schemes and stuff, and hadn't been hadn't been successful. And he just really wanted to, you know, he really felt ready to 
make his own film so he just basically put up the money for it um and serena and i came on board and well we, we were kind of were developing ideas with them all the way through um and so we made it for like a really low budget and you know obviously pe people didn't get paid and there were lots of favors and stuff called in to make it feasible but there wasn't any kind of external support or anything like that it was just basically a quite a cavalier type of approach yeah. you know guerrilla filmmaking basically yeah and i suppose if you're gonna call in favors the least you can do is get an oscar for all those people for their hard work yeah i think that definitely is um a, a nice end result when you're asking people to basically work for free and like really long hours and like stuff stuff that you can't do if you're paying people in a way because then the sort of rules change a bit so you can stretch it when people when people are willing to work for free and stuff as i'm sure you know like they do, they're doing it for the passion rather than for the money and so they mm. go all in and you can like make that stretch even further yeah so just to i guess talk about you for a second um uh, is filmmaking something that you've always wanted to pursue um i've always it, originally it was music it was filmmaking only came um i went back to because I, I left school um early like 15 16 and then um you grew up in stevenage yeah just outside of london yeah so i kind of like scraped a few back gcse's at the end of it and then i came back to, um in my like early 20s to finish like the gcse's that i missed and try and go to like college do a levels it's like i don't know what the equivalent is back at, in like BC, yeah um and it was there that i did um I did film studies or I had some friends who were on the film studies course and they were just like, oh, it's just, you know, it's such a gas. You just come in and watch films all the time. So I would just like go and sneak into their lessons sometimes. And the, the guy, the, the tutor, Jeff, was, he was just cool. He was just like, okay, well, he's not in this class, but he's he just can come and sit in for a bit. So then I took it the next year. And then it was since then that I just, yeah, discovered like all these other types of films that I hadn't really seen and started to engage with film more critically that's when I th thought and he, he kind of talked me into actually about you know go to film school and why don't you make films yeah right do you remember the first time maybe maybe it was when you were a kid or in your teens uh, do you remember the first time that you did perform music or engaged with music or film or something I to be honest I just always grew up with basically computers from like my my earliest memory of like you know five or something is yeah. on a commodore 64 and my dad was always into computers so i was always messing around with things like demo discs for music software and like the amiga 500 and like just so i was just always kind of messing around with stuff and i had like my own decks and stuff when i was like 12 and used to like make little mixtapes and stuff so i was just kind of always into a mix of gaming and music on a more creative level and i always just loved watching films kind of like linear editing in a way yeah music. yeah and then like with the game stuff i started doing like you know editing little videos and stuff of game things and you know i mean the tools back then were very simplistic compared to what you've got now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i remember crafting little short films on like 3D Movie Maker on the PC. I don't know if you ever had that. I know. It was like a... It was... 
uh, what was the guy's name? McZee or something. It was like the main character. It was like you had an array of characters that you could choose to create like these 3D animated films and they had like preset dialogue and preset like ah, nice. scenes and like gesture animations that you could... So you could craft like a little story with, you know, very limited scope. But yeah, I definitely uh, remember fiddling around with that sort of stuff. Um, was Stevenage, was that like a, was it a place conducive to someone with a kind of creative spirit? Um, I wouldn't say so, or at least I didn't feel, I didn't feel so at the time. I'm not sure what it was like now, but it wasn't. I didn't feel so. I because I kind of I grew up in the Middle East until the age of ten. So right. I came back to Stevenage for like the first year of um, secondary school. Whereabouts in the Middle East? In Saudi Arabia, okay. and Qatar first, and then Saudi Arabia. Yeah, right. My dad was working um, out there. I, I used to live on the Australian telecom compound, right. actually. So I grew up around Aussies. So when when I came back to um, to the UK. It was like a huge culture shock and I had a bit of an Aussie twang in my accent, which didn't help. I got the piss taken out of me yeah. pretty uh, seriously. What was, uh, I guess, well, I mean, what was it like to, what are your memories of, of living in uh, in Qatar and Saudi Arabia? Um, as a kid, it was great in Saudi Arabia. I think things sort of took a turn for the worse after we left we heard stories from like friends and stuff of like you know having abuse held at them on the streets and stuff but when I was there and as a kid it just seemed like a sort of paradise it's you know it's well you come from Australia so this might not be alien to you but for someone in the UK like to be able to go to school in shorts in like winter or whatever like the the coldest day of the year would be like 19 degrees or something and you still wear shorts um so it was just yeah it was just like a a dream there was you know the compounds have like massive swimming pools and gyms right. and all kind of, you know basketball courts and everything and i guess like there's sort of full employment because everyone has to have a job to to get a visa and work there so i at least from my point of view there's like no crime there's nothing like that everything is just a sort of you know a sort of uh idyllic type of scenario for a kid yeah and what were your parents doing there uh my dad he worked in it um, for cable and wireless, and then someone else. I'm not sure. Like just just doing all the sort of telecoms infrastructure stuff. And uh, my mum's a nurse, so she was the school nurse actually, which was right. <laughs> source of <laughs> some embarrassment at times. <laughs> Why embarrassment? I don't know. Just you know, when you end up in a, a scrape with someone, and the two of you get sent to the you know the nurse or whatever, right. and, and it's your mum. It's your mum, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she gives you a kiss on the forehead. Yeah, sends you on your way. Um, so, you know, as you're kind of as you're going through school, um, I guess coming up to the point where you start going to film school, are your are your parents kind of are they in support of your creative endeavors, or are they trying to encourage you to perhaps seek a more real job? Um, no, by they were they were fully in support of it. I mean, by then, because I was I was yeah I was like twenty four, twenty five when I started. So I think by then they'd kind of given up hope on me of doing anything else because because they they between me going to film school and first doing the A levels there was several years and I sort of just wasn't willing to drop it and I think they were just happy for me to be passionate about something and and. And also, I was a bit of a write-off at that point. Anyway, right. I wasn't really doing anything else, and I wasn't willing to. So, yeah, no, they they were they were fine with it. 
So what was the what was the first thing that you produced as a filmmaker or, or directed or created? So during my um, communications A level, I made some uh, like a, a promo for the local gym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like just a project, I yeah. guess that counts. And then it was well, the first sort of like narrative stuff I did was when I did um, a foundation in, in art and design at uh, London College of Communication. And um, we just did some like little videos and shorts on that. So that was quite fun. I was doing some drama shorts and you know, we cast that, you know, actors and stuff. It's a good thing about London. You know, you can put a casting call out and you can get like trained actors who give up a day or two and come do a short. Mm, yeah, there's a very vibrant uh, artistic community in, in London for sure. And I guess given that you've got people who are aspiring in these different platforms, be it as a director or a writer or a producer or an actor um, or a musician or whatever, you know, this is kind of one of the meccas, if you like, of, uh, of the artistic world. So there's people who are working at pretty high levels, even at the kind of lower levels, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 definitely. What was that experience like for you of, of actually creating a more kind of professional content? Yeah, I think that that was sort of what sealed the deal for me because I think at that point, like I'd thought about doing, well, I'd um denied about doing film studies or filmmaking, and then I think, you know, I sort of yeah, I got the bug from from actually making a few like crappy little shorts, yeah. but still <laughs> a lot of fun. What part yeah. of the process was it for you that really kind of gave you that buzz? I think it was the, not just the writing, but the the. the making something come alive from the page onto the screen I think um, and then also the working with the actors I was lucky on like the first one that I did <clears throat> I had a really good actress I mean she definitely you know I think she was just curious to you know she 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 was actually Chris Nolan's cousin um, and she was like really good <laughs> and we didn't uh, like you know really know what we were doing and I didn't really know how to direct and I was sort of being like I say I just want you to cry now and like saying things like that like turn it on or off and so she sort of like took me to the side and be like you know it's not kind of how it works and you know so I that I think that really helped me like I had really good you know chats with her and that's where I kind of thought oh yeah there's a lot lot to this directing thing and it's like yeah. really interesting and like the psychology because I'd only you know written the characters but I hadn't really thought about how do you make it come alive and it was that I so I think it was that first interaction with like an actor who kind of helped me see that the you know the there's a the collaboration between the director and the actor of bringing the character off the page and into life and I think that was it yeah yeah there's something um there's something quite incredible which I haven't really experienced in any other things that I've done in my life about yeah that really collaborative uh process and then seeing things come to life and then putting the pieces together in the edit and kind of, I guess, you know, having all these other people breathing life into something that just started as a little kind of, you know, spawn of a chemical reaction in your head. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess as someone who's worked now a fair bit on set and has gone to film school, I mean, do you, what, what, would, what would you kind of tell people um, in if they were trying to work out if it was worth going to film school or if they should just go and work on set? Um, I think it's definitely worth going to film school, but it depends. I, I think it depends what your end goal is. But I think if you want to write or direct or, or, or produce, that it's, 
I yeah, I think I think film school's a bit like driving in that you sort of you know when you when when you learn to drive you, you kind of just learn how to pass your test and then after you get your license and you get your car that's when you actually learn to drive yeah and i think film school is like that like for me film school gave me the tools to learn about filmmaking and like really develop it but during film school itself you know i remember feeling quite disappointed and like oh this is bullshit and we don't make enough films and you know this yeah. kind all this kind of stuff like you know you kind of feel a bit but actually, afterwards, I realised that I, they, the, you know, the, the curriculum was good. The way they'd structured it, and the, the lessons that they taught us, and the ways that they taught us to think about things, had actually given us the tools for us to teach ourselves. And you know, so I kind of, I actually spent most of my time in film school, just using the free equipment and just like making loads of other stuff yeah. and lights and stuff. And so I kind of in a way didn't engage with some of those processes as much but but they did s stay with me afterwards just you know even just things like breaking down how to break down a scene and you know determine whose scene it is and at which moment is you know all these kinds of things that, that they're just like invaluable to if you want to be a director that if you just go on set I don't know how you would necessarily learn those and because you have to unless you're the type of person who's really good at observing things and critically engaging yourself but I think film school really helps you with that that process, and you know, it's, it, you do get a good experience there working with people, and that was probably one of the biggest things I got from film school was getting over my ego, <laughs> which is like an invaluable thing because I'm sure most people are similar that when you start off, you always think like you're hot shit, and you know, I want to make this, and you know, the auteur director and all this kind of stuff, but having a really collaborative approach which my film school had they don't let anyone um direct anything which they've written and everyone has to pitch for every role and so you know you, you can't really coast it and you have to be really collaborative and i think that was a really good um yeah that's a really good thing to go through i think yeah definitely do you still uh, do you still collaborate with any of the people you went to film school with um uh, i yeah i do so my best friend from film school he was uh, an exec on fog actually and uh, we're probably going to do another film i might produce a film for him which he's going to direct um next year and um problem is that he's in israel otherwise we would probably do a lot more stuff yeah right because you know? that's the thing with the, with the film school it's quite an international kind of crowd and um the other like the third the third uh, member of our little crew he's um the dop of a norwegian show called scam oh, yeah. which is doing really well and he's moving over to the states so he's just been like really busy but we've all planned to do some something again soon i tried to get him on for fog but he was you know busy shooting this <laughs> uh, you know international hit show so yeah so how did you meet benjamin cleary so I met Ben through Serena. Serena and Ben used to, um, they lived together for a while. Like Ben moved in there for a, a couple of months. Um, so I, I into this house and it, it was just like a house in East London with like six people and like, like all mates and stuff. So I'd known Serena for a few years and then I you know, met Ben through, through that. And then we all just all came, yeah, good mates. And how did you meet Serena? Serena worked at ITV and I, um, I helped on a documentary. We did like a short documentary about the, the South Bank skate park. There was like a campaign to save the skate park. So we worked on that together. Okay, cool. And that was the kind of foundation of your collaborative partnership. Yeah. And so then you met Ben and you guys, you're saying you had like loads of dinner parties. You all sort of became mates in this creative share house. 
I yep. guess. Um, and you knew that he was a screenwriter when you when you first met him. Yeah, I knew he was a screenwriter when I first met him. He had, um, I think, he'd just finished at um, LFS, London Film School, is doing a screenwriting course. And um, so at the time when we first met, he was just more concentrating on like sort of screenwriting. But you know, we used to just hang out a load, and you know, just pull films apart and stuff and I'd I'd often see him like you know um at home just sometimes on a you know a Friday night when all the you know that the house was empty everyone else is out and he's just you know rewinding a scene again and again and you know like uh Paul Anderson you know just 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 analyzing it and that's where I was kind of like yeah yeah he's he's dead so when he said he wanted to direct I kind of thought yeah, he's not just someone who's like, oh, I fancy directing, but he, you know, he really has the mentality for it and he's sort of put the work in and he has a crazy work ethic, you know, so. Yeah, you could see his genius. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think you, you get a sense from that, I think, with conversations and things. And so I think the three of us all knew we wanted to make something. And so you just, you put your heads together and you thought, all right, well, Ben, you can... You write and direct, and Serena and I will produce it for you. Yeah, I well, I'd say it was more Ben. Ben came to us because he was saying that he wants. He was saying for a while he really wants to write and direct something, and there was something else which didn't come off. And then so he came to, like he was saying to us, he's like, "Okay, guys, I think this is enough talking. Why don't we do something?" And he had, he had a script which uh, both Serena and I loved, but we ruled it out because we were like, "Okay, this would be really good to make." similar in themes to stutter it was about a man who had voice problems and we both really liked the, the script uh, but then we thought oh no this is too you know we, we all started being a bit like oh where are we going to fund it this money won't stretch that far we can't do it so then we decided single room a single location just something we can shoot easily over a weekend and Ben started writing new scripts and then as I said before he didn't really feel happy with any of them that they were going to achieve the goal of this, which was for him to sort of express himself as a, a writer director. Mm. So then we just sort of, uh, he just kind of, he came up with Stuttera, which was like a much, it was a better version of the other film. Well, I think, yeah, I think it was more, um, the other script was really good as well, actually. It'd make a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that's how that happened. I mean, he has quite a distinct voice. I, uh, I guess having seen Stutterer, then uh, saw Wave at yeah. um, at the Melbourne Film Festival earlier this year. Was that something I guess that drew you to him uh, on a creative level? Even though you know he he's just kind of fleshing out these these different ideas for Stutterer for you. Yeah, that I that was absolutely it because I think um, and that was the problem with these the other shorts that were set in the single location. Is that they didn't feel like his. I mean, Ben is quite. Um, he's a very interesting character. You know, he's he's just a very mellow, chilled person with like just a quite sort of warm sensibility as a person, and you you really see that reflected in his work, like with Stutterer and with Wave. This uh, the other short which we started with. It had that same thing, and also I know the feature that he's developing. Like he has his his. He has a he has a vision, but it's it's definitely a very personal thing of that he's like expressing within those, and I think that's when when we did those other scripts that we tried to do in just one location or whatever, and they they didn't really feel like him. And then as soon as Stutterer came, like we knew that this was something, and that's why I think 
yeah, there was no sort of doubt from either Serena or me about, you know, is he a good, will he be able to, to do well as a director? Because we could see that from the writing and the storytelling, it's very infused with, like you say, he has a sort of a tone and a style that's very visible. Was he as kind of self-assured on set as, as a director or was there kind of a, I guess, a, a teething process? Um, I think he was self-assured. Like he had, the thing is he had a very clear vision. Yeah, he had a very clear vision of of what exactly what he wanted from the film. And um, like that was sort of never in doubt from the, yeah, from the sort of the writing process onwards. Um, and so on the set, he was he was very self-assured, and I mean, and you know, it's a remarkable achievement com- considering how chaotic the shoot was, because you know, having to do like fourteen-hour days some days, and you know, people not getting paid, and because there's no money for everything, that everything mm. is a bit um, more challenging than like the pace that we had to work at. I mean, I'd say the one thing was that he he wanted to. He had, you know, storyboarded every shot, or he like, he had a, like a shot, detailed shot list, and so I was first ading it as well because he really that was the one thing he wasn't necessarily assured about. He just wanted to have a very um, calm atmosphere on the set, so it was the crew was made up mostly of friends, people we knew, or we sort of selected people based on how chilled out they would be and how like you know warm and mellow like no one who was like arrogant or up themselves or would cause problems and for the same reason he he wanted me to ad because i think working with a you know a first ad on such a chaotic shoot could go um it could put too like a bit too much stress on him um and so really more of this i'd say a lot of the stress i just offloaded onto the dop mike got just basically got the short end of the straw where it was just you know it's like right you got 10 minutes to set this set up and then we're going and then you know i'd give him a a few more minutes i'd be like well sorry we have to turn over now because ben he had the he had he really wanted to achieve the shots that he had so we tried to get it down but you know we were doing sort of 35 setups a day yeah wow so real real quick pace and and i i just made sure that it was ben's choice i said you do understand that we can only do one you know two takes on most of these things one to two takes so if you really you really want these shots it means that you're gonna have to do rehearsals with the actors beforehand make sure their performance is all down and you know so we can just keep things really quick on the set and that lighting might not be as consistent and polished and everything as you want and so we had a chat about it and so yeah on the set he was he was very self-assured like he knew what it was that he wanted and he did really well to handle with the sort of the the extra challenge of the shoot being um as fast a pace as it was so once you kind of put it together in the edit, what was your, did you have a festival strategy? I mean, I know you said you just wanted to get it into a festival. Um, what was the festival that you got it in that made it um, Academy accredited? Um, it was LA Shorts okay. Festival. That's, yeah, we won the Best Foreign Film there, which is one of the earlier ones we went to. It wasn't our premiere. We premiered in Galway. Um, which is it's an Oscar qualifying one, but we, we didn't win there. So that was our that's when we got into that we were happy. I mean we'd almost premiered at um, because you know we had quite a few, we had we started off with a few rejections, 
we sent it out places and then so we were kind of like oh maybe you know because you just lose all sense of objectivity by this point and it had been a very long edit as well so I think we'd all lost the ability to be objective about it yeah and like you, you know and the only feedback we have are friends be like oh yeah it's great it's a great film and like it's like really good and the, but then you obviously have other fit friends where you say guys right or I would say I'd be, okay like, I want you to tear this film apart guys because I've lost the ability to be objective be as harsh as possible and then you come away thinking oh yeah it's not that great you know because yeah. everyone obviously when they're critical can can tear things apart and then you have the other friends and family like, oh it's such a good film and you don't really know whether to take it or not so we were just we had no idea we we sort of needed that validation from the festivals and we were getting a load of rejections um and then we got into like some i won't name the festival but there was a festival it was like in its second year just a small a tiny like uk festival and we were going to premiere premiere there um and then we sort of had just had a, another meeting and I was like, you know what, I I think we need to hold out. I think this film, it is quite good and we need to just hold out and wait and see. And I'm sure we can get somewhere at the BFI London Film Festival because, you know, the other guys, like I said, we all just were like, let's just get into any festival and then we're happy. And then we got into Galway and DC Shorts in America. So those are our two uh, like premieres. Um, and it kind of went from there. How how important do you think it was to make that choice to kind of hold out and go, no, no, I think we've got something? I think it's really important because because the festival admission process is so hit and miss. There's no, there's no science to it. I mean, there is now. I mean, I know a lot more about it now than we did then. Like, we we tried to, to come up with a festival strategy and... But then the problem is when it didn't wasn't wasn't working when we get lots of rejections we didn't like really know sort of what to try then so we kind of learned as we were going like how to which which festivals to target and which you know where it might play better. But yeah, I think it is really important to to hold out and, and give it a shot just at least so you, you know you do your film do you give it a shot do your film justice. But then at the same time, like you know, you can. Um, once it starts going to festivals, it picks up some momentum, especially if it wins somewhere, then, you know, it's, it, I don't know too much about how, how long, like, I I wouldn't, like, delay ages in order to, to get, like, a massive festival or something yeah. like that. I don't, like, unless that's your end goal or something, but, you know, you could, otherwise you could end up waiting, like, a whole year and spend a load of money and then not get into any of the top-end festivals and then go one level down and, like, we just, I think we said we'll give it a few months going for the big, big festivals, then we'll go for just like, you know, respected festivals. And I think that's a fair, yeah, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, it's a good strategy. Yeah. So once, uh, what time of year was the LA Film Festival? That was in September, I think. So after that, you, I guess there's a few months sort of process where you know that you're, you've become eligible for an Academy Award. No, it was, well, it was very short because I think the deadline for the Oscars is the end of September or maybe the end, it's either the end of September or end of November, I can't yeah, remember right. which, end of October, like one, one's BAFTA, one's um, the Oscars. So it was quite, it was quite quick for us. Like we, we, DC Shorts, I think was in August and we'd won the audience award there and then LA Shorts was a few weeks later and we won Best Foreign Film there. And that put us in eligible, 
but it was yeah it was really short notice because that's why we almost didn't even apply for it because um you have to have a surround sound mix to be to be there's like certain technical um characteristics you have to have because any films that go through the oscars they go out to cinemas they put them in a package and like i think like something like 400 cinemas they screen all the nominated shorts so you have to already have like um certain tech specs dcp and five uh 5.1 sound which we didn't and we were all completely like you know flat broke at that point like ben was like sleeping on people's couches and stuff and i was like pretty much close to doing the same so we were just like oh we can't afford sound mix we're never going to win an oscar like you know just joking about like joking with mates oh we can apply for the oscars like you know but then our sound mixer just came in with the last minute save at the end he's like oh guys i've got a freebie we could you know i could mix this tonight like on the day of the deadline he's like should we just do it and because otherwise it would have cost 200 quid or something so we just we were like okay let's let's do it and so we got it in like literally five minutes before the deadline we just mixed it that night and sent it um but still we we just thought we were chancing it because it and i think the fact that it happened so quickly was probably a good thing because yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't just, have time to overthink it. Yeah, exactly. It was just that. Like, we sort of, we just dismissed it initially. So, oh, we could apply for the Oscars. And then I think that short period just made us think, ah, what, what the hell? Let's go for it. Yeah. And so you applied and obviously were then shortlisted. What was that process like? And then, um, I guess, actually going to the ceremony, what was that like? Oh yeah, it was um, it was a whirlwind. It was it was crazy because the shortlisting came, I think, in November, and so there wasn't yeah, it's it's not like a huge amount of time because you know we were all working full time like, um, and so there was still quite a lot of things that we sort of had to think about. Like then it was like oh right okay, do we have to think about PR or something? Like suddenly we're thrown into this different like world of oh, now we're on the top 10 how do we get down to the top five? Oh, you need to get pr and you need to do a pr campaign and you need to do this and put this is what the advice we're told like you need to put screenings on in la for like members so they can come and like all this kind of stuff which we were just like there's no way that we can do that um so it's just sort of but um it was good though because we 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 did we did get someone on for pr and we managed to get like she did basically did us a really good deal that if we got nominated that we would keep her basically so she it was um Catherine at London Flair and so we managed because she was just she'd done it she'd, she'd had some success with Oscar short stuff before but she was still I think building up her client base and she just loved our film as well and so yeah it was just just felt like a whirlwind because even just small interviews just feel suddenly like oh I've never done anything like this before yeah. this is this is weird and then I guess since then it just got bigger and bigger so what was it what was it like going to the Oscars um it was it was it was bonkers really (laughs) that's what it was like yeah it was um it's it was just surreal really I think um like being in that environment and sort of you know in the actual oscars itself and like everywhere you look you're just like oh my god there's steven spielberg like oh my god there's clint eastwood like just literally everywhere you look or something there's someone 
Actually, I don't know if I saw Clint Eastwood, but there was there was loads. You know, <laughs> yeah. everywhere you look, there was someone. There, there was someone, and you were just like, "Wow!" Like, how did they let me in? Yeah, <laughs> that's what we, we. That's what we just used to joke that we were like we'd spoofed our way to the Oscars somehow. Yeah, and like you know, yeah. They, they, that like you got to pay your own way, accommodation. You got to, yeah, you got to, yeah. So that was the other thing. So it was kind of like, okay, we've got this. So now just need to like literally take on all the jobs that could start working every weekend and everything and just basically try to get all the money together just in case we get nominated um because it's uh, you fight the the nominations are in like mid-january and then the nominees luncheon is the 8th of february so you've got like three weeks basically to yeah, get right. out there so you don't want to be sort of caught with your pants down too much which <laughs> you know which we, st- we still or I still was anyway because it's a lot of money to try and raise yeah yeah and was was there a sense that we might actually win this it did you see the other short films yeah so we saw the other short film we saw the other short films because they were programmed in um at the five nominated short films like I said, they go to cinemas and they do these programs. So we would go and do Q and A's at some of these. Um, like especially while we we're in LA, we would do that. That was like our kind of PR strategy because we didn't have money to do put anything on ourselves. So it was just sort of turn up everywhere we can, yeah, and just do as much as you know uh, we can. Um, so I'd seen the other short films, and they were a, a, a really strong bunch of films, an eclectic mix as well. So it was hard to. Um, I had a feeling. I think once once I saw them in the or in the theater, I had a, a better feeling because I thought that ours played well with an audience, and especially amongst um, quite three of them were like very intense um, dramatic films, and so ours definitely had a sort of a feeling of relief, and so I. Th- I don't know. I did at least. I thought that we. I thought we were in with a chance, but I. I didn't really think we. We would probably win. Yeah, I just couldn't even get my head around the fact that we were nominated. So yeah. that's why winning didn't really seem like anything. And then I think sort of as the time went on, when we were out there in LA, I mean, we were never like seen. We were always seen as the underdogs, and we were never seen as the favourites. And they have this like cycle gold derby which is it's like industry predictions it's usually always right and we were usually just like just scraped our way in and sort of you know and I, I was from talking to people but then I think as we went on and we had more conversations with people there was a lot of like positive things like oh yeah I really liked you one the best and things like that so suddenly started thinking geez is it possible but yeah I don't think I I didn't I didn't think that we would right down to when it was called out I didn't think right. we'd won and when it was called out? When it was called out, it was just... Because I was so prepared for it not to be. Yeah. I was just almost like on autopilot because I was so unprepared. Like I was very relaxed when they called it out. Right. Like, like I knew the other guys were a bit nervous and everything. And I was half sort of not paying attention even. Um, and so then I was just totally caught off guard. And it was just, yeah, just like being on autopilot. I was like felt like I was like on a conveyor belt just sort of like pulling me along and was just sort of observing things like in uh, the big Lebowski when he's uh having that kind of surreal dream where he's just sort of floating yeah 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 exactly exactly did you have like did you have a prepared speech like what was the no because well because we were all going to go up there but Ben and like Ben was gonna because we get 45 seconds 
Um, so Ben was going to speak for 30 and then either Serena and I was going to speak. And so Serena was going to do it like on both of our behalves. And we didn't really have any prepared speech. They had, they had thought about it themselves individually and we talked as well about like, what, is there any specific things that we want to say or, mm. you know, thanks and things like that. But there was no like, you know, long rehearsal time or anything like that yeah, for yeah. it, I think. And then you're kind of ushered into the press room and get your Oscar engraved and well, what was the, what was all that in the after party? I mean, that must have all just been mental. You yeah. won the same year as um, Leo won his Oscar. Yeah. DiCaprio. Yeah, so we saw uh, Leonardo DiCaprio just as he was getting uh, his statue engraved and just immediately before that we'd seen him coming out from the press. Like we went in after him to do the, uh, the, the press conference. So we'd had a little had a little chat with him and I was sort of surprised that when we went down there uh, for the engraving like he sort of like you know stopped me and said congrats again and I was just a bit like oh. yeah <laughs> cool. well. it's like yeah that was like a, a nice it's a nice moment because you sort of still feel like oh it's just a short film and there's all these people that are like you know the biggest names in the business but when they sort of you know notice you and everyone's really nice as well no one's kind of like um sees you as if like you shouldn't be there or like oh you want a short film like no like no one has that attitude at all everyone is just like really happy and um engaged and stuff and so yeah it was really really cool yeah anything kind of stand out i um really enjoyed talking to michael keaton it was just he just won for spotlight so he was obviously on a real high and he was just so engaged. Like it was at the moment, right at the end of the ceremony, where all the uh, awardees are on the stage with their Oscars, and like the confetti comes in the air, and it's like the closing <laughs> shot of the thing. But then everyone sort of stands there for a bit, chatting, and like everyone sort of chats to each other. And so you've got all these, like you know, all of the Oscar winners there, and he's sort of standing and having a, a chat with me, and like not like looking around, looking for someone you know more interesting. And he was just really, um, just really appreciative of of sort of. Um, the fact that I was interested in Spotlight and he I could see that he got quite um, I don't know if I'd say I wouldn't say moved but he felt very appreciative of the fact that I appreciated the themes and stuff of, of Spotlight and we had a chat about like journalism and you know the state of things today and everything and that uh, I could see that the, he you know he was very engaged in that conversation and just things like that like pretty much most of the people that I talked to there, like big names, were the same. They were very engaged. And I think that was one of the, um, yeah, just the highlights of it. And you had these two kind of guys in Michael Keaton and, and Leo, who in some ways, I guess, had a, you know, were a long time coming in these kind of awards and, you know, overlooked in their own sort of ways, I guess, Michael Keaton in particular for any acting roles for 20 yeah. years or something then acknowledging and engaging with you on a creative level yeah it's just great to like people that you've you know admired for a long time and you know it's just a very weird feeling to be <laughs> in, in a sort of man-to-man -man conversation with them what was the ripple effect because i imagine that you could potentially you know from that sort of springboard your career as a producer although i know you wanted to like we sort of started this discussion at move more into directing mm. so what was the kind of ripple effect for you for this unexpected oscar win the main effect or the only effect really is just 
it, it helps to open doors in the sense of you can get, you can get meetings with people. Like if I sent an email and say, just one Oscar for best short, I've got this, you know, do you fancy having a coffee or something? I'd say that would be like sort of the only effect that people would give time for those meetings. But I think it all depends if you have anything for those meetings. And I didn't really have, I didn't have any features. I didn't have, really have anything to pitch. And in hindsight, I would have done it differently now because I, I just, so I just didn't really approach anyone. I didn't really take, go try and get any meetings because I was just more like, oh, I don't really have anything yet to mm. pitch. I'm going to like build up a slate or I'm going to have some things. But actually it is probably, it's good to get yourself on people's radar anyway. And, you know, just say, oh, just, can I just meet for advice? And because I know, you know, I've known other people who've done that and then you just sort of develop contacts with people and stuff. And it means you can contact them later down the line. In hindsight, I think that would have been a good thing to do, yeah, because there's a sort of moment where, you know, the, the Oscars buzz, it means something, especially immediately afterwards, so you can just can pretty much meet with anyone if you say, you know, you want an Oscar and, you know, I just love to come in and chat. And I didn't really do that, so... Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that, yeah, I remember being told, like, I, I made this short film when I was younger and showing it to someone of some significance in the industry and he was like well what else have you got yeah and i remember feeling so offended by by the statement at the time as a entitled 22 year old but i guess it's true you, you do kind of need to be the ultimate juggler and have all these balls in the air so that when you do have a moment you can go well these are all the kind of yeah. things that i've got in my back pocket yep definitely no that's 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 definitely it because i think you know it's something you have might not be for the right thing for that time but I also think as well it just shows a the kinds of things you want to make and where your head's at and what you know even if it's not for anything practical it's more like what direction are you headed mm. you know and it's this going to be something for the future so it's totally totally worth doing so I think yeah that's kind of what happened so coming back from the Oscars was then suddenly like okay now let's because because it, it came it was the same for all of us it kind of came out of nowhere for all yeah. of us so none of us had any um anything else i mean ben did he had a feature idea which he had started writing and so he went straight on to writing that and then so for serena and i it was more just like right just put you know get slates together and mm. have think about what we're gonna gonna do yeah and i think that um you're always an oscar winner so no one will ever take that away from you. That's I think true. That's probably one of the only things that probably doesn't have a shelf life. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I think there's just, I, I agree to an extent. I mean, I hope it's true, but <laughs> <laughs> I just think you know, there's, there's always, there's always, you know, there's always new winners, and yeah. there's lots of different awards, and there's always, you know, and there is a sort of. I, maybe it's just a fear that I have, but you know this whole thing like you're hot when you're hot, and then when you're not, that's it. I don't know. Does it count for anything in like a few years' time? If it, I think it all depends of what you do in between. Like I don't. I think if you disappear for twenty years off the radar and come back and you say mm. you want a short, you know, an Oscar for a short film twenty years ago, I doubt anyone would give a shit. That's probably true. Twenty years is a long time. <laughs> so how would you now look at something like Fog? Like what would be how how would you kind of define success now for your work? Yeah, it's the same for me. The criteria is kind of the same for with as what, how we started out with Star Trek. I just like to get it into some good festivals and sort of see how it does, and then um, 
start writing a feature idea, like get some development money and start putting together a new um, a, a new short as well. Because I have, I have another idea for a, a short, which would be a short and a fe- again, a tied short and feature. So it'd be either doing doing one of those and just hoping that it does does well on the festivals and um, be able to leverage that. But really, it's just more about yeah, just seeing it being appreciated somewhere and like mm-hmm. seeing if it does. I mean, the best thing is when you can actually watch it with an audience and and people come up up to you like uh, with Stutter especially. Like some of the that was the most rewarding thing of all of it was the people that have been really moved by the film and they'll come up to you after the screening or something like that and say something like really personal and emotional and that then you're just like wow like that that's like the ultimate achievement to make something that connected with people and that they really really um, felt strongly about so I'd I'd hope for you know something similar with Fog maybe just 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 to see that it was appreciated and gets into some yeah has a, has a life on the festival circuit mm. is there anywhere uh, is, is stutter available online anyway yeah it's uh it's available on itunes and it's also available on the new new yorker website yeah cool. so you can watch it for free on the new york new yorker website and i think it's um like 199 or something on itunes possibly amazon amazon video as well yeah cool i think i watched it on the new yorker website nice Thank you so much for uh, for chatting with me. I uh, I end all my conversations with the same question. Question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly is I have a a strong anti-authoritarian streak, and <laughs> silliness always rubs authoritarian people or situations up the wrong way. Right. So I it often can't help myself from being silly at times when I shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Sean. No worries.